EWTN News Nightly in Washington, D.C. I'm Tracy Sable with an EWTN News Link. The body of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI has been moved inside of St. Peter's Basilica. It will lie in state until his funeral on Thursday. The German-born Pope died on Saturday at the age of 95. Thousands of mourners are paying their final respects. Pope Francis expressed his thanks for the life and work of the Pope Emeritus. In his Sunday address at the Vatican, the Holy Father also asked for the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary on behalf of Pope Benedict. President Joe Biden called the Pope Emeritus, quote, a renowned theologian with a lifetime of devotion to the church. In a statement over the weekend, the president also said Pope Benedict was guided by his principles and his faith. I'm Tracy Sable with EWTN News Nightly. Join us tonight. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You want the good news, you want the bad news. I don't like either one of those options. Your words are super wise, man. You are a prophet. You deserve a prophet. You do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? But you're a psychologist. Well, I know less than you do. You're making me a better parent and a better wife, and thank God you're on the radio. What planet are you on? I don't buy any of that stuff. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. What are you talking about? You make my afternoon really fun. Enjoy ya. You're about the most exciting thing I have right now. <laughs> now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Dispensing Dacazin. One hour of antidote, the airborne cure for Parentis Maximus Wimpus, chronic or acute type, or Bratus Majoris. Works for both parents and kids. Dacazin went off patent some years ago. You can get the generic now. Both are free. You can get them here for an hour. They're interorally, A-U-R-A-L-L-Y, not orally, orally, meaning of the ear. The patented, off-patent, is uh, tricyclinol. It's available. Uh, it uh, it lasts uh, a few hours, a few hours afterwards, and we're trying to, trying to get it up to about 23 hours. So just as it's beginning to fade, you can get another dose. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. The program here, the doctor is in the version of the program, or to use modern lingo, the variant of the program, is E-Person Monday. This is where I dive into the stack of your E-Persons that come in, lots of them, and uh, attempt to address them as best I can here. We devote Monday to them because there's there's many of them, and I I just uh, had to find a way. Had to find a way to get to them. Right now, I'm, I'm drawing the stack, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Oh, my. I'm looking at about three or four weeks steady of this. I'll get to that in a moment. Some years ago, <laughs> okay, some decades ago, I went to the local county jail. They had a chaplain there. This chaplain, uh, as best I could tell, was raised Catholic and left the church, and he became pretty much a fundamentalist Christian, probably anti-Catholic. Now, at that time, I was out of the Catholic Church into the evangelical tradition. He accepted me as someone that could come in. I think I came in weekly for, for a while. 
to lead the Bible study. Had I been Catholic, he would not have. I'm pretty certain of that. He he felt that I had seen the light. I didn't argue with him. I definitely wasn't as anti-Catholic as he was. I conducted a Bible study with the guys. Typically, I think it was on a Monday, we had six, eight guys. I listened to their stories. I listened to their history. None of them had an upbringing even close to my own. I had loving parents. Many of them may have had one parent. Or if they had two, a lot of pathology, alcohol, drugs, neglect. No religion, really, for most of them. Any religion that they had was bits and pieces from maybe a grandma who took them to church every so often or babysat them and read them a Bible story. Education-wise, I don't think any of them went to college. I don't know how many of them graduated from high school. Their offenses were, for the most part, not heavily serious, but numerous. Drunk driving, fighting, disorderly conduct, assault, petty theft, drugs, a lot. The guys were coarse in the sense that their language was could burn your ears a little bit, <laughs> even in Bible study. Uh, and I, I typically didn't say, "Okay, okay, okay, we don't talk like that here." Now, unless they got really crude, yeah, then I then I stopped. But your your basic four letter words, okay, that peppered their language. I wasn't going to sit there and and be the language police on something like that. And as I conducted three or four of these studies. I left, went out to my car. I could go through the the various doors, go back out into the sunshine into my car, drive home, maybe drive through the nearby McDonald's, get myself a milkshake or something. You know, you've heard the aphorism, 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 there but for the grace of God go I. Now, I walked in that jail, and I saw that aphorism. As I listen to those guys and as I listen to their history and as I listen to their understanding of life and of people and of religion and of the mistakes they've made, why they made them, while they'll probably continue to make them, I got soft. I got softer toward the guys. Not that I was condoning anything they did. Not that I called wrong, right, right, wrong. I didn't do that. And to the best of my ability, I pointed out to them how what they were doing was not uh, helping them or anybody else. And if they believed in God, that's not the way he'd want them to do it for their own benefit. But I recognized, given what they had known or didn't know, it was no big surprise the way they were running their lives, the way they made a mess of their lives. That wasn't a shock. It's understandable. Dr. Ray, are you saying that, uh, therefore, whatever somebody has experienced, whatever they didn't get, it makes what they do wrong okay? No, no, I'm not saying that at all. What they do wrong is wrong. I guess what I'm saying is it makes it more understandable. And as you understand it, you become less judgmental. You recognize that only God can sort through all the factors involved 
in somebody doing and acting the way they are. The church has a beautiful teaching on this. Beautiful teaching. Conduct that is wrong is objectively wrong. It's wrong. All circumstances, it's wrong. However, the degree to which the person is held responsible is completely known only to God. I had a uh, very poignant call some weeks ago on this program where a woman in her 40s talked about three abortions when she was in her 20s. She said she didn't even know what they were. She just saw it in the paper. Said, hey, okay, this will solve my problem. I, I, I'm going to go do it. No idea, no, no moral component, not even a biological understanding of what was going on. She said she was just completely, totally clueless. Her third one, she became ill at ease about, tried to leave, and they said, no, you have to stay. You're already here now. Basically, they wanted the money. And as she got older, she came close to her Catholic faith, and she understood the gravity of the conduct. One of the points I made in that call was that the level of blameworthiness that she was torturing herself with for 20 years was undeserved. If she's being straight, I had no reason to believe she wasn't. In fact, she was not aware of the gravity of what she was doing. Somebody wrote me that day, email that day, and said, in fact, I was terribly wrong in saying abortion's not wrong. I clearly didn't say that. I clearly said that how wrong she was was dramatically mitigated by the fact that she had no idea what this was, what it involved, what God taught about it, you know, any of that stuff. It was just, oh, I'm pregnant? Oh, and this will solve it? Okay. That's essentially where she was at. And I think in a lot of respects, perhaps at a milder sort of form, but maybe not, the more you see how somebody got to be the way they are, the softer your, if you want to call it judgment. I know many of you have relatives that are extremely difficult to deal with. You know that. Many of you, when you've called this show, have talked about how these relatives, as you've gotten to understand a bit about their history, had some pretty chaotic early histories. Their upbringing, a loving parent, alcoholism, just, just stuff that really in a lot of ways was tragic, turbulent, ugly in their lives. And now, because they're part of your life, whether it's an in-law, you have to deal with them. And they're not easy to deal with. But they would be easier for you to deal with when you recognize that they themselves had a lot of difficulties. Whether they were self-made or other-made, they were there. And to the degree you recognize that, like I did with the guys, you are warmer toward them. 
or at the very least, less cold. Always good to remember that. That's why Jesus says, do not judge. He basically is saying, you don't know. You do not know. When we come back, I'm diving into the stack here on E-Person Monday. It's Dr. Ray. I know not to ask any questions. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. While Mary's not mentioned as often as Moses, not mentioned as often as Peter or Paul, Her role in scripture is even more significant. She's absolutely unique. There are many prophets, there are many apostles, but there's only one God-bearer. There are a lot of people who proclaim the Word of God. There's only one woman who bore the Word of God, quite literally, within her. She's utterly unique in that she literally transmits the Word of God to the world. So when the Word of God wanted to take on human flesh, Whose human flesh did he choose? It was Mary's. She donated out of her own life substance the flesh of Jesus. The body prepared for Christ is taken from the Blessed Mother. Nobody else in salvation history occupies such a role. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. He was a doctor of the church, a Carmelite, and one of the most famous mystics of all time. Matthew Bunsen and the doctors of the church. St. John of the Cross wanted to help all Christians to become saints. One of his most important teachings was to encourage us all to learn how to love. For there is no love, he said, put love, and you will find love. He died in 1591. For more about the doctors of the church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. Think some of the places I eat breakfast. I love eating breakfast. I was eating, and I was given a cup of coffee, but no spoon. So I'm trying to be funny. Got the waitress's attention. I said, "Excuse me, uh, my finger." Well, wouldn't you know it? It worked. She came back with another cup of coffee. She said, "Here, try this one. It's not so hot." <clears throat> I got a. I got to think about where I'm eating. This is Dr. Ray here on E-Person Monday from Peter. I have a question regarding a previous broadcast. As I recall, and I think this is very nice of Peter to do this. Uh, Peter is basically saying, here's how I recall it. He's not saying you said, because oftentimes when, when people write in the emails, they say, you said this, and in fact, that's what they heard. And it turns out here, Peter's exactly right. <laughs> As I recall, you were directing a mother on what to do if a child reacts to timeout by punching the wall, generally throwing a fit. Yeah, I think it was a situation where mom was saying, okay, I don't know how old this child was. I, I get the sense, I, if I remember he was little. 
kicked the wall or something like that. So in other words, got house destructive. Your response, as I remember it, again, very kind of Peter, but he remembered it exactly, was to take the child's favorite toy or an object and say, I have to sell this to fix the wall. But, and here comes the subject of my question, he says, you said it was just theater. I, I like the word he used. I, I think I did say something to that effect. I said something like, you don't have to sell it. You can keep it for later and give it back, but you don't have to sell it. You can pitch it. You can do something. I more or less was saying that you're conveying a message. I have to sell this to fix that wall. And here Peter says, and he's right, so I don't know if I have an answer to this. Catechism 2482 says, A lie consists in speaking a falsehood with the intention of deceiving. It seems to me, he says, there is no way to take that statement except as a falsehood with the intention of deceiving the child. I would be happy for you to explain why I'm wrong about this if I am, and on the air if possible. Most likely, if I'm concerned about it, others are also. And here's where I think I found my loophole. But any response is appreciated. (laughs) Okay, well, I can do that. I don't know. I think in a very strict sense, that's probably true. Uh, If mom would have said, I might have to sell this, or I think this could be sold, probably because I said I'm going to sell this, made it definitive. So in a very strict sense, someone could say, you deceived. You deceived the child. You're not going to sell it. Now, of course, you could sell it somehow, some way. Or you could just give it away. So in a sense, that's kind of similar to selling it because, indeed, if you if you gave it to a charitable organization, you get a deduction for it. You just figure this stuffed animal's worth eight bucks. Okay, you can deduct it as part of your charitable contributions. You can do that. My wife and I always take our deductions to Salvation Army or wherever because when you had ten kids, you just had a boatload of stuff that was outgrown. Okay. So, Peter, I'm going to confess that, in fact, straight up, uh, yeah, but the words I used... I would say is misleading. I don't uh, deceiving. Boy, that's a that's a strong word. It implies intent for my own personal purposes to lie to you. When in fact, I think I qualified it by saying you don't have to sell it. It's probably what I said. You don't have to sell it, but that could be taken that way. So, bottom line. Literally, strictest sense of the word, yeah, I probably didn't leave much wiggle room. I'll have to, in the future, think about how to phrase that in such a way so that it is not deceiving, but you still get the same message across because you destroyed some part of the house or you attempted. I must make recompense in some way, somehow, or the only consequence I'm going to choose is to take this.
Good one, Peter. Good one. Uh, Hi, Dr. Ray. I came up with a question recently. I don't recall ever having heard you address. How does one go about socializing, moralizing, and disciplining a child who displays psychopathic traits? Severe animal abuse, tormenting siblings, constant lying, etc. I have no personal experience with such a child, but I'm very curious as to what your approach would be. She puts a little P.S. here. I once wrote to you about my five-month-old daughter who cried whenever you came on. I'm used to that. Used to women crying whenever I speak. She's now 20 months old and can say, Dr. Ray. Well, you know, R's are hard for kids to pronounce. So it's, a, it's a tough sound. So she probably says, Dr. Way. She's gotten over crying whenever she hears you. <laughs> that was quick. Is that 15 months? A little over a year she got over it? I've, I've got ladies who for years since I've been on the air haven't gotten over crying whenever they have to hear me. All right, back to her question. Child who displays psychopathic traits. Well, the first thing you got to do is you got to watch out the language here. That wasn't very grammatically correct. You have to watch your language. Psychopathic is an old term. It's a serious serious problem basically means conscienceless now it doesn't necessarily mean a child who does constantly lie is consciousless consciouslessness whatever doesn't necessarily mean a child who teases torments goes after siblings is without conscience there animal abuse that's that's a more serious one that's for sure but the question becomes what is psychopathic what degree what duration but let's assume let's assume that this is a severely constricted conscience wise kid now this is more commonly experienced in children who have been neglected in overseas adoptions who have been heavily drug or alcohol exposed in the womb and then placed for adoption. Higher percentage of these kids struggle to navigate life with, with a moral sense. It's harder for them. So what do you do? How do you go about socializing, moralizing, disciplining? Well, you basically do the same thing. You just have to do it more. And now, that's no guarantee that you're going to make this child be an upstanding citizen. What it means is, for example, maybe you got a sibling. And the sibling, if you send the sibling to the corner three times, that's it. He's not going to do whatever he did anymore. Now, this particular child has to go to the corner 49 times, and he still doesn't slow down. And he still may throw a fit. And he still may lie about what he did. But that doesn't mean you can't do what you were doing. You 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 got to attempt to hold him accountable. But Dr. Ray, what about love? Well, I'm going to assume love is there, okay? But you still have to hold a child accountable. You can't simply say, well, I'm just going to be positive. Well, go ahead. If that works for you, great. But if it doesn't, you're going to have to balance the scale by positive and what people call negative, and I don't. I call discipline positive, too. It's love in action. So... You do have to do 
much of the same in greater amounts for longer periods of time. I had one daughter who was born in very, very questionable circumstances. And she very much struggled growing up, severely struggled growing up. And a lot of behaviors that required constant supervision, a lot of behaviors that required holding her accountable, uh, much more so than the other kids. Okay. We had to do what we had to do. Now, did that guarantee how she'll turn out? No. No, it doesn't guarantee that. But I don't want to think about what it would have been like if we didn't. So given that, as uh, bad as an outcome might be, you still have to do this. There, what you're saying is, are there, are there qualitatively different approaches? Not necessarily. It's more quantitatively. More of the same, more supervision, more hugs, kisses, and affection, more follow-through, more consistency, less frustration. It's all qualitative stuff. But the idea is holding someone accountable, supervision, standards, they're all the same. It all comes down to how the child responds to it, given their natural temperament, their personality. To Spirit of Stewardship. Jeremy Belsky is your host for real life stories, encouragement, and ideas to enhance your own gifts of work, wealth, and wisdom in response to God's blessings for you. I'm Jeremy Belsky, and today's topic is Stewardship of the Environment, God's Creation of Nature. When you hear the message, Be a Wise Steward of Your Resources, do you ever consider the role you play in your community environment? It's natural to think of time, talent, and treasure when stewardship is mentioned. But our faith teaches us that all is gift from God. Thus, respect for nature and doing our part to ensure a safe and clean environment is important. Here are just three areas we can pay more attention. A lot of action has been taken in recent years by nonprofits geared towards a cleaner environment. The first area of focus is to eliminate litter. Consider how your actions to pick up after yourself are pleasing to God. Be proud to do your part to keep your community and neighborhood clean. Secondly, look at ways to recycle and make the most out of your purchases. Does it matter to you that so much plastic consumes our landfills? Have you given thought as to how you can make a particular purchase last longer? Third, in a country filled with abundance, what's being done to ensure our nature and environment for the next generation? This is more than eating bread crust and cleaning off your plate. The root lies in not wasting what we've been given. There's a great deal of time and effort that goes into caring for our place of residence in addition to our possessions. Keeping up what is ours or giving our used possessions to the less fortunate are a couple of ways to be prudent stewards of our blessings from God. I'm Jeremy Belsky, your host for Spirit of Stewardship. To learn how you can better share your talents and resources, contact your local parish priest. Your level of involvement in the church now positively impacts our faith in the future.
Dr. Ray Garendi, a uh, top 10% graduate of Catholic Media's School of Articulation and Stuff. Good to have you with me. Somebody will email me and say, Really? Did you graduate from the Articulation and Stuff School? I mean, yeah, like, you know, whatever. All right, this is E-Person Monday. I'm trying to get through this stack, and the stack just keeps getting bigger and bigger. We will have a child in college soon. He is not bringing a car on campus, but attending Mass is easy and can be reached by bike or walking. My husband and I have talked to him about our expectations of attending Mass while on campus. He listens, but hasn't really said either way if he will go. Well, that, I think, is an answer. If he doesn't say, Mom, you can count on me, it's going to happen, I'm not going to stop going back. No, if he's, if he's saying nothing, he basically just doesn't want to lie. He basically is leaving the matter wide open. As parents, can we tell him college won't be paid for if he does not attend Mass? Of course you can. Your parents. It's your money. You're allowed to put whatever conditions upon it that you wish. Other parents may disagree with you. Experts may disagree with you, but it's your decision as parents. Now, here's the $64,000 question, which is approximately uh, half a semester of tuition in college now. How do you enforce your child attending Mass? Short answer, not easy. How do you enforce it? A friend of mine told his son... When his son went to college, distance away, driving, when I pick you up, I'm going to go and talk to the priest, the on-campus parish or the close-by parish, and I'm going to ask him if he knows you. Hmm. Now, one could say, well, the kid went up and introduced himself the first Sunday he was there at college, and that was it, and never went back. I suppose... But the priest might offer some details. Yeah, I, I met him the first week. Hi, Father. Did you, have you seen him the, any week after when you when you stood outside Mass and greeted people? Did you ever see him come through? Not that I can recall. Okay, so you can do that. She goes on. I'm sure there are strings we can hold over his head while we are still paying for college. Oh, of course. Of course. Money, spending money, paying for the phone, all that stuff. Whatever. You're the parent. You you can decide what you wish to do about this. I've had I've had parents say, "We won't pay for your college," not because the kid's a problem, but because they said we don't owe you a college education. You'll have to work it out somehow, some way, on your own. Now, most parents don't do that, but there are those who do, and I can't say to them, "Well, you're wrong," because that's just my opinion. It's their family. It's their house. They know their finances. They know their expectations. They know their kid. So if they say we're not doing that, I got it. Many more parents will say, well, we'll help you in college. We won't help you in grad school. That's much more common. He did get a scholarship for good grades and has to keep a certain GPA as well as do community service to keep the extra funding. Mom... If he's going away to college, there's almost no way you can supervise that. 
I suppose you could ask him when he comes home, did you go to Mass? Now, I don't know what answer he'll give you. He could say yes, and he didn't. He could say no, and he didn't. He could say not every week, and he didn't go any week. He could say most of them, and he only went twice. I don't know. And the common theme is neither can you. I suppose <laughs> this would really be an extreme one, but <laughs> you could have him get a bulletin and have the priest sign it every Sunday, I suppose. I know of no one who's ever done that, but I suppose you could. But I think you got a bigger question here. The bigger question is, why why are you thinking there's a good likelihood he won't? Obviously, you've seen things in him that you suspect he's drifting from the faith. Now, here's the question. You said he got a scholarship. Did he get a scholarship only to that college? Or did he get a generic scholarship that, that follows him? Second question. If you think he's drifting from the faith, then there's a good chance he's going to drift into partying. And that's a real high percentage of that. And furthermore, if you have to worry about him going to Mass, then you're probably going to watch him leave the faith. Okay. Are you saying you then want to send him away to college? Why? To get what degree? If he's getting a bachelor's of some type, not necessarily something that he has to go to a specialized school for, why? Can he not go to a nearby college at home and commute? Or, in, I imagine, unusual cases, the colleges in certain areas are are far away. They're two, three hours away, the closest. But where I live in Ohio, in Canton, oh my, we've got six or seven colleges all within driving distance. All of them. And my own children commuted. Except my one daughter who went ROTC for a, a specialized uh, women's leadership program. But short of that, everybody else went to college, commuted. Why? Well, I'm not going to send them away. If I have to worry about them going to Mass, then I'm going to probably have to worry about him keeping the faith. When I have to worry about him keeping the faith, why would I pay for them to lose their faith? That just is dumb. They're going to lose their faith. I'm not going to pay for it. So I guess the, the bigger question here is, if you're really concerned about his going to Mass, why is he, why is he going away to college? Is there a reason? That's the question. I'm now convinced that uh, college, in many respects, many respects, is an adversary to parents who have raised their children in the faith and who want their children to keep the faith. If you just look at raw statistics, the odds of your child leaving the faith, being away at college, is higher than them keeping the faith. Significantly so. And it 
is not necessarily just a passage. Yeah, you know, we're all just kind of, yeah, you go through that, you go to college, you drift, and then you come back. Uh, if you look at the stats, an awful lot of the young adults are not coming back. So every parent now has to decide, what about this whole college thing? is the source of all priesthood. Jesus Christ, the Catholic Catechism tells us, the priest of the old law was a figure of Christ, and the priest of the new law acts in the person of Christ. In the Mass, it is Christ himself who is present to his church as head of his body, shepherd of his flock, high priest of the redemptive sacrifice, and teacher of truth, says the Catechism. By virtue of the sacrament of holy orders, the priest acts in persona Christi. Christ is made visible in the community of believers through the ordained ministry. The bishop, in the words of Ignatius of Antioch, is like the living image of God the Father. This does not guarantee, however, that bishops are preserved from all human weakness, even sin. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. Let us strive to know the Lord. Quick question to you and me right now. Is that what you and I are doing every single day? When you and I wake up every day, do we strive to know Jesus or not? In the Old Testament, in the same book of Hosea, a little bit later on, it's in chapter 14, the Lord says through the prophet, My people perish, or in another translation, my people are being destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Not a lack of data, we got tons of data. Not a lack of information, we got a lot of information. Not just about things that are happening in the world, we got a lot of data, a lot of knowledge, a lot of information about God, but not a lot of intimacy with God. Not a lot of relationship with God, not a lot of friendship. That's the cry of God's heart. God wants to give himself to us in the incredible gift of friendship, and we're not taking advantage of it. Boldly going where no brain has gone before. You know, I shouldn't be using that little transliteration of the line in the original Star Trek which aired back in 1967 with Kirk. Because pretty much everybody listening to this program has never, ever seen the original Star Trek with Kirk. Looking at it now, it seems pretty hokey in the way that they describe things. But Kirk always saved the universe, always saved the universe. And on an off, off day, he saved a galaxy, pretty much. And if you were security on the USS Enterprise, which I think they had a, a red, they had a red uh, upper top on. You didn't want to be security. Security guys always got killed. Always. Very dangerous place to be. 
My dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He has five daughters. In January, we started caring for him a week each. I have a 12-year-old son. So recently, I told my siblings I would no longer be able to give a, a week because I felt it was taking away from my son <laughs> and also for my sanity because it's not easy and was draining me emotionally. Two of my sisters would not agree on a nursing home. But one of them now, she says, bashes me and says I bailed on them. I told them that my dad has no idea if I take care of him. So he's if he's that far along, if he has no idea, doesn't recognize his daughters, if he's that far along, in fact, then he probably needs constant care at home. So I'm going to assume they're saying that this was a live-in week apiece. I can't know that because I don't have the details, but a live-in week apiece, that is one ton, especially if you have a child. My son knows if I'm home or not. With his disease, I just don't know how long it would be. And I feel my son is at the age where I need to be present. Now, I think this is a key line here. I'm the only sibling with a child still at home. I do not expect to get anything when my dad passes. Now, that's an interesting statement in the sense that is our writer saying that because I'm doing this and whomever is in charge of the inheritance, probably one of the siblings, because at this point, dad is sounding incompetent, so one of the siblings, and this would, this would be a punishment for her not carrying her fair share. I don't comment when they send out texts, especially if they directed to me. I don't know what to say or do, if anything. I feel guilty that I don't offer to keep him occasionally, but I know my sister will say there's no reason I couldn't help out more. What say you, Dr. Ray? She didn't say it that way. I said it that way. This is one of those situations where <clears throat> if you don't do exactly as someone wants you to do, they're not only going to be upset with you, but they're going to try to make you feel that somehow, some way, you are betraying the whole situation or you are betraying them. Now, several things to consider here. If dad needs 24-7 supervision because he doesn't even know who his offspring are, then that's a lot of care. And that probably is going to get to a point relatively shortly where even that won't be sufficient because that will be uh, unpredictable, perhaps dangerous. Not necessarily towards his children, but uh, wandering off, getting confused, and doing something potentially very harmful to himself, the house. Now, personally, it doesn't matter what I think. But if you're asking me my opinion, personally, I think to stay awake a week, stay away a week, a full week, every, what, third or fourth week is, is a tremendous request if you're still raising a child. Now, one could say, well, let the child live with you during that week at grandpa's house. 
suppose that's one option, but I don't know how well that would work out. Also, it seems like at least one of the sisters is saying, you're not doing exactly what we would do. We are not recognizing that you are in a different phase of life than we are. We are not leaving a child at home. They aren't saying that. They're saying, because you are one of his grown children, you owe it to be equal in your service to us. It sounds like just one of the sisters is saying that. Now, if in fact it is only one, and she refuses to see your perspective, writer, you're stuck. She's going to be mad at you no matter what you do. She's going to be upset at you because in her mind, you're not doing what she thinks you should do. She's not allowing you to have different circumstances because she's defined what they should be. And if you're saying, how do I convince her? Ha, good luck. Because probably she believes she's going well over and above the call of duty. And she's the good one. You're not. You're cheaping out. You're putting the load on them. And to the degree that this is a, an emotional reaction on her part, I don't think you're going to convince her otherwise. And if you say, this is what I can do. I can, I can come over on Tuesdays and Thursdays. This is what I can do while my son's at school. This is what I can do. Give you breaks so you can go out. And they accept that. Great. But it sounds from your letter like anything short of 24-7 for a week is unacceptable. But perhaps, as the situation becomes more untenable, your sister will accept whatever you offer. I think that would be a good move on her part. At least she could get out a little bit. The general lesson to be learned from something like this is all too often when you don't do what somebody wants you to do, especially in an emotionally charged situation, they take it badly. They take it personally. And so often, and I've seen this over and over again, when you have a cognitively failing parent and it fall, falls upon the adult children to navigate it and to take care of it, sadly, it creates rifts in the family. Because obviously, if dad is in need of skilled care and the daughters are saying, no, 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 we can do this, we can do this. My question would be, how much longer can you do this? I'm Dr. Ray. Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I Can't Get No Satisfaction is a popular song, but it could be a summary of our life on earth. In the book of Genesis, we hear that we're made in the image and likeness of God. That means that we can know the truth and we can choose to do good to others. We can love. It comes to fulfillment in the Sermon on the Mount where we hear these Beatitudes. It's the standard of the Christian life. Jesus tells us that if we hear what he says and do what he tells us to do, we will be like wise people who build our house on solid rock. 
But we make progress towards happiness and blessedness by our actions, and it starts with our interior disposition, what we want to choose. Do you and I hunger and thirst for those things that will lead us to happiness and to God? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. A conversation I had several years ago with uh, one of our listeners who wrote to me and said she was being challenged by a friend or a cousin or someone regarding the church and various teachings, especially on marriage and abortion and whatnot. And she said, I need the answers and I need them quickly because I want to quiet this person and shut them down. And I wrote her back and I said, I'm not going to give you the answers. I will give you some resources such as the link to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I said, but you need to look these up and you need to read them over. And you need to learn them because this is not going to be the last time that you're going to be challenged or questions about your faith. And what good is it if you're just barking answers to someone and you're not able to explain them charitably? This is a way we all should learn by doing the work ourselves. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Agarindi. Last segment of this Eat Person Monday. It's from Andrew here. Andrew is uh, 17. Dear Dr. Ray, I was listening to your radio show, and I had a few comments or suggestions for the woman from Buffalo who called in about her 17-year-old daughter who doesn't believe in God anymore. I'm turning 17 myself, and I went through a similar situation in the past year or so. I've learned the catechism, and I'm even blessed to be homeschooled with strong Catholic material in a solid Catholic home. However, I was lukewarm. I never really took the faith of God seriously, so to speak. I, I knew of God rather than knowing Him Himself. I'd been having doubts of God but this was out really giving him a fair chance to speak or sincerely trying to pray very much. Eh, I'll tell you what, Andrew, that is the case with so many. They have their doubts, but they don't search, they don't seek, they don't pray. Just like, yeah, I got doubts, I'll just leave it at that. When the churches were closed during COVID and we couldn't physically attend Mass, God sent me a wake-up call. As 2021 wore on, God kept prickling, pricking at me, and I started trying to actually pray, like I was talking to a loving someone, not just going through the motions. It was very important to consider who God is. Father Larry Richards talks about an approach that was helpful to me. The question of faith in God and a personal relationship with him can come down to a very simple question, prayer, honestly said. Go to church, especially when it is quiet. Now, he's not saying going to Mass. He's saying go to a church, especially when it is quiet. Kneel down, simply, honestly, humbly ask God. 
Do you exist or not? Who are you? If you are true, what do you want from me? Please help me to find the truth about you and what you desire. You know, I did not offer this to that mom. I had to have a 17-year-old boy tell me. And it's ironic, because I did that myself when I was struggling with the faith. Dear Lord, please, I want to know who you are. Please show yourself to me. You said you would. Ask and you will receive. You said this. Please show me. And that's a prayer God doesn't resist. And mom was caught up in her daughter's doubts. I was caught up in mom's telling me about her daughter's doubts. And so we talked about ways to dispel some of those doubts. But I should have added this. Andrew pointed it out for me. Approaching God like a friend was very important to me, believing he is someone who actually wants to know us and love us. Yeah, I really love that question. Dear God, show me who you are. Dear God, I want to know. Did this with a friend who was wrestling whether or not to become Catholic. We said, uh, we were sitting at a restaurant. Remember where we said it? Said, just ask God. Do you want me to become Catholic? If you do, show me. That was his prayer. He's Catholic. Uh, okay. All this said, Dr. Ray, this is how God has and continues to help me. Hopefully it will help her. Yeah. I'm hoping that she or her mom are listening to this program. But uh, Andrew, I used your name, but I used just your first name. So, and I didn't say where. So, I think you're safe. All righty. I remember when I was asking God to help me know Him. I guess I wanted Him to snap His fingers. God doesn't have fingers. I got that. Snap my fingers and say, here I am. Here's your faith. Be at peace. That didn't happen, by the way. And, of course, God knows me infinitely better than I know myself. I'm guessing. I'm thinking that he knew that as I struggled... I would approach it from a perspective of, I've I, I really got to understand I, I, what I can understand. I've got to know what I can know. I've got, to, I've got to have answers to my questions. I've got to explore. I've got to listen to wise people. I've got to do everything I can to, to kind of soak up answers to my doubts, my many questions. <clears throat> Consequently, over the span of several years, and, and it continues to this day, God has allowed me to understand things I, I wouldn't have understood. Things I didn't understand. Or, or at least have some answer to. He knew I was going to be doing this program many years hence from those days. Probably the program started maybe, maybe 10 years after all this went on. And because of that, because he allowed me to search, I... I have answers or at least something to offer people who ask questions about the faith. Questions that I wrestled with. Questions that I explored. Questions that I looked for smart answers from smart people. And all of that has helped me now. I got a call just recently from a college. A bunch of college students have a bunch of questions about the faith and, and they, want, they want to talk to me about it. I'd be glad to. 
I wouldn't feel intimidated now because I think anything they raise, either I wrestled with or I looked into. So, as my son Andrew said when he was five years old, that God, he's a pretty smart guy, isn't he? Thank you so much for joining me on this Doctor is in on this e-person Monday. Good Lord permit, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. We we'll go back and forth on the air, hopefully, helpfully. Walk with God. Ask Him to walk with you. You with Him. For information on Doctor Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit dra.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. When doing your Christmas shopping this year, consider using smile.amazon.com and be sure to click La Promesa Foundation. Not only are you giving a gift to a friend or loved one or even yourself, no judging, but you're also supporting the soul-saving programming of the Guadalupe Radio Network. It's literally the gift that keeps on giving. So put Christ in Christmas this year and in someone's life by going to smile.amazon.com and be sure to click La Promesa Foundation. It's a soul-saving click away. The Guadalupe Radio Network would like to thank Dr. Christopher York, an ENT doctor practicing in medical and surgical treatments of disorders of the ears, nose, and throat with an emphasis on thyroid and parathyroid surgery. Dr. York is also past president of the Catholic Physicians Guild of San Antonio and can be reached locally at 210-499-4589. Thank you, Dr. York, for your support of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Hi listeners, this is Dan Seventy from Sanctus Ranch. Join us on Thursday, January 5th for our first annual Epiphany Fundraising Dinner. This fundraising event will be from 6 to 8 p.m. at Holy Trinity Banquet Hall and will include a delicious dinner and an opportunity to learn more about our mission. Mark Houck, founder of The Kingsman and GRN radio host, will be our keynote speaker. There's no charge to reserve your spot. Register today by going to sanctusranch.com slash events. Your connection to our treasured Catholic faith all day, every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. This is KJMA 89.7 FM, Floresville, San Antonio. Also streaming the truth to the world at grnonline.com. It's food for the immortal soul, all day and all night. And at the beginning of each month, choose a day to celebrate, either a saint's day or a feast day. For instance, on December 12th, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, spread a serape across the table, have a Mexican food feast, and put on the mariachi music. Place a statue or a picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe in the middle of the table. Tell the kids who she is and why you're celebrating. Do this every month with a different saint or feast day and imagine how much of the faith that you will learn together while you have fun as a Catholic family. This has been a Minute for Your Marriage and Family from the Three Hearts Institute. You can find us at threeheartsinstitute.org.